Welcome to the Forge America Missional Podcast. My name is Alan Bradford in Knoxville, Tennessee, and with me, as always, is Terry Ishi in Austin, Texas. How you doing, Terry? I'm good, buddy. Yeah? Everything well in Texas? Everything is bright and beautiful. It needs to say that way because I'm going to be there Monday, buddy. I'm, I'm right. flying in Monday to hang out with you, so I'm looking forward to it. Um, and with us today is Peyton Jones in San Diego. Peyton, it's good to have you on the podcast with us, man. Oh, man, it's so good to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so this is great. So Peyton is an author. Uh, his most recent book is Church Plantology. We're going to unpack that here a little bit. But if you want to connect to Peyton, uh, definitely check out his website. It's ministryninja.com. Um, he's also founded the Church Planner Magazine. Um, he's got a couple of podcasts, which I think would be great to check out. Church Planner Podcast, Hardcore Church Planning. Uh, and definitely check out his network, the New Breed Network. So it's a church planning network. You can see them at newbreednetwork.org. And then I also looked up a lot of other stuff on Peyton, and then I just kind of got depressed, and I felt like a waste of a human being, <laughs> to be completely honest. And so that's all I'm going to give you, man. All that stuff right there, that's it. There's a whole lot more to Peyton, but that's all I'm going to brag about right there. So it's really good to have you, man. Uh, good to be here. I feel at home here. Yeah. But I love Peyton. It's funny. Uh, I, I pride myself on pop culture uh, quips and, you know, references. And, you know, those who listen to this podcast, I'm always looking to put movie references in. And Peyton has actually written, he's written books uh, in the same manner. And so that's one thing I've always appreciated you, man. You've always, you always have uh, the fondness for a good Star Wars quote or Indiana Jones or, or something good. Um you know, you hit all the classics. So and I love that about you, buddy. Yeah. You know, I appreciate that. It actually came from being a minister, uh, a missionary in Europe for 12 years because uh, over in, in the UK, particularly Wales, where I was for 12 years, um, they, they didn't, you know, they didn't uh, understand anything. If you talk to them about anything in the Bible, they would not connect. So you had to connect was something they had watched. And of course I was from a whole nother culture. So even on a cultural level, there was a disconnect at times. So we would have to geek out and, and bridge the gap with what we shared in pop culture. And I soon learned to speak pop culture as almost like a first spoken language as a bridge between the two cultures. And so when uh, Church Zero, which was my first book came out, it got a ton of Amazon reviews. I never asked anyone for any reviews, but the the ones and twos, you know, the the one and two star reviews were, I don't know why he's so worldly. Why does he quote <laughs> so many pop culture? Why doesn't he just read the Bible? Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking, you know, I was a missionary. I'll never forget. I was at a church. Um, there's a lot of famous churches over there. And so you end up speaking at churches where like, really famous preachers like Methodists and, you know, guys like Lloyd Jones and stuff. And, and I remember I was at this one church, it was a legacy church, had a, a really famous preacher there. And I, I went to speak and, uh, I, I, I knew, and, and as a matter of fact, there were people in the, in the, that came to church. Um, and I had traveled, like I was somewhere else in England, I was hours and hours away from, from the house, but friends of friends, you know, came who did not know God and said, well, if you're going to be there preaching, I'll, I'll come, you know, my friend says I should come. So I aimed during that, that time to really make sure it connected with people outside the church. And I was talking, you know, I, I quoted something from Raiders of the Lost Ark. Well, you know, Hollywood film, you know, in, in this, 
Um, they were so like old school. This guy came up to me and he says, ah, many people. He was very somber about it. He had to tweed jacket and everything, leather elbow patches. He said, many people would have been very put off by your quoting of a Hollywood film. And, and I was talking about Ark of the Covenant. So I said, oh, you know, like in Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know, pictures worth a thousand words saved me a lot of time. And, uh, and I just looked at the guy and I said, well, I wasn't talking to them, you know, and, and sure enough, these people that were completely outside of church connected with Christ, connected with the gospel and started following him. And I was like, you know, done deal. So I, I long ago stopped caring what Christians think. If it's going to connect with a, an unchurched person, I'm here for that. That's right, man. Did you you should have framed those one and two star reviews and put them front front and center on the website, man. Yeah. So funny enough, you mentioned the podcast, the Church Planner podcast years ago. This is terrible, but I I, I started that with a guy who he wasn't in ministry. His name was Pete Mitchell. He was just this week. He was an entrepreneur and he was part of our church plant in uh, urban Long Beach. And he was just laughing this week going, you know, when my kids go back and listen to this eight, nine year journey of us on this spot, they'll see quite a, quite a journey I've been on. And I said, <laughs> yes. And, uh, but he, uh, his habit was when people left our podcast or one or two star review, he would mock them. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, don't you dare leave a one or two. Don't, uh, don't even leave a four. You're going to yeah. be an honorary guest on this week. So he is, he has been a little more sanctified, but I do miss those days because it was funny. <laughs> yeah, that's great. <laughs> well, Peyton, I mean, there is a long laundry list of things that we could sit and chat about. Um, but, uh, that would take way too long to record. So today let's, let's talk about your new book, church plantology, uh, man, tell us a little bit about, um, the journey of this thing even coming about, you know, where, where, where were you and, and how did it, how did you even have the idea to, cause uh, those who haven't seen the book, uh, it is not a book per se. It is a textbook. This thing yeah. is thick. I mean, this is like a book that uh, when you have someone sleeping and you want to wake them up by slamming a book <laughs> on a desk, that's the book. You go to. That's the one you grab. It is a small dictionary. Yes, to make a, a Flintstones pop culture reference, there was a character there uh, on the one where they were all teenagers, like Pebbles and Bam Bam. And there was a character called Vavoom, and he would walk into the room and say, Vavoom, and uh, the place would thunder and everybody's eardrums would split. This is like a Vavoom book, right? You <laughs> slap it down on the table, wakes everyone up. But, you know, um, it's funny you ask that because I did not want to write this book. Um, and, and I don't say that for dramatic effect. That is legit. I, I was feeling, um, I hate the guru syndrome. I hate how everybody wants to be the clever, you know, crystal ball, what's coming next with the church. I think is a bunch of nonsense, right? I, I, I don't want to know what's coming next. I, I want to know what's come before. And I want to learn from what the Holy Spirit has done in the past. Uh, I want to learn from people who had blind spots, uh, like C.S. Lewis said, you know, the reason we read old books is because they do not share our blind spots. Funny enough, we look back with chronological superiority, we think they're the ones that had blind spots. But C.S. Lewis, being a medieval Renaissance professor, said, no, actually, it's the other way around. And if you read the old stuff, you begin to see your own blind spots. And I think the church has had a huge blind spot for a long time. And so when I came back from the mission field um, 10 years ago, uh, and I've noticed this tr 
kind of pattern, you know, whether it's Newbegin, whether it's Jim Peterson, whether it's, you know, I mean, so many people, um, Roland Allen, uh, those that have been on the mission field, they come back and they, they, they don't come back as missionaries. They come back and become church reformers. Mm. And it's because, and, and they're missionary church reformers. Um, they want to reform the church on mission, but they're church reformers. And I, I, I definitely felt that, that when I came back, I wanted to see the church reformed. And so a lot of my early books and even the podcasts were all, it was missional reform. I wasn't alone in that. I mean, Alan Hirsch, you know, uh, Michael Frost, uh, Hugh Halter, Brad Briscoe, uh, Brian Sanders. I mean, so many people that, that are here in America have really served as missional church reformers, and I'm here for that. But what happened with this was I kind of felt like I'd had my run. And part of the apostolic bone is always that Okay, I started this and I want to hand it off. I don't want to keep doing this. Yeah. I'm, I'm on to my next thing. So the podcast was very successful. But I was like, I'm done. And um, so I went away to Wales uh, on holiday. The whole family was jet lagged. And we were there for about five days. I kept waking up at this ungodly hour of like four, three, four in the morning. My body clock was totally off. And the family wouldn't wake up till like 10 we're out in the middle of nowhere we're in this little like woodcutter's cottage off the coast southern coast in this forest nowhere like you couldn't even walk anywhere that's how far out we were and there was nothing to do except light the fire in the morning read uh i had no wi-fi signal and i would just pray and while the family woke up right five hours later <laughs> and during that time i had just stepped off of working uh i i was hired i wasn't a southern baptist but i was hired to work with nam and i had been doing church planner training and i just kind of during those moments of prayer just had really handed everything over to the lord and said god i'm done i don't want to be a guru i don't want people to look to me for answers i want to go back into the obscurity i knew as a missionary and I just want to fall in love with you and watch people around me fall in love with you. I'm good. That's all I need for the rest of my life. And during that time, I just felt like it was almost like I was shedding all these layers of skin and all this dead skin and dead weight. And it just was like this inner renewal. And I felt so clean and whole and pure. And I had just walked away from this amazing job. I was like, I had executive level level at NAM. Um, <laughs> you know, got all the toys, had a had a corporate card. I mean, it it was it was great, but the apostolic kicked in and said, I'm done. And so I thought I was done with church planning. Well, lo and behold, a couple months later, I bump into at Exponential, I bump into my editor who published Reaching the Unreached, my second book. And he said, Hey, would you be interested in writing a core textbook we have keller's book um, which is an urban manifesto of really a manifesto of urban ministry would you be interested in writing church plantology and i said well i'm not really capable i don't have a phd um i mean i've got a master's in theology but i, I don't think that's going to help too much he said no we think you're the guy to write it we want it written for the planner we don't want it written for professors but it'll be used in seminaries and and uh universities but we need a practitioner textbook as our part of our course series to go with that book. Uh, would you write it? And I said, let me think about it. Let me pray about it. And I, I went away and I, I actually, as weird as it sounds, I, I sought permission 
I was like, God, I gave you all this stuff. I don't want this anymore. Do you, do you want me to? Like, I don't, I don't know if that was even the right question, but I felt a green light. Yeah, go for it. So I didn't want to. I knew it would suck a year of my life. I will tell you right now, I will never do this again. It is yeah. by far the hardest thing I've ever done. And um, uh, I wrote two, by the way. Um, half of it is on the cutting room floor. Um, uh, they said, we love you, Peyton, but you cannot write a thousand page textbook for us. So we will cut it off at 500. So it is 500, but I spent better part of a year and a half doing it. And, um, yeah, that's the story behind it. But, um, right now it is, it is doing extremely well. I mean, Zondervan keeps telling me the reports of it, which is I, my books don't typically sell. I mean, I write about things no one wants to read about <laughs> team, team church planning from first century style. That was one, that one did. Okay. The next one was the connection between mission and the power of the Holy spirit. They didn't want to publish that at first. Then they did. Then nobody wanted to, to buy it. They're like, evangelism? Prayer? Those are the two things that don't sell. Yeah. So, Well, it, the book, it looks amazing. I mean, I've, I'm have i flipping through it now and making my way through it. And it is a treasure trove of stuff. I mean, you 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 literally, I mean, you, you have everything in it, maybe except the kitchen sink. And so it, it is a robust book. I mean, you're talking... Uh, just philosophy, but also so practical and even how you do leadership and uh, a pest culture is, is well represented in there and, and the, the need for missional incarnational uh, ministry and what that looks like. I'm, I'm sure you guys will understand when I say this, like, like Forge, I'm a huge lover of Forge. I, we were talking before, I've watched you guys for 10 years since I've been back being like, those guys are cool. What they're doing is awesome. Um, but you know, you understand when I say that for whether it's Forge or it, when I say our tribe, the people that think missionally, the people that embrace APEST, you know, there, there's a movement in the United States of people that think outside the box. We haven't had a church planting book. Yeah. So kind of like in talking with Brad Briscoe recently, um, Brad was like, this is our book. This is our book for our tribe. It literally has all of the, the, you know, if you want to call it the MDNA of uh, Alan, it, it literally, it's our church planning book um, for, for the way that we think. Because I think, um, kind of like you were telling me with, with Forge, you guys really do the paradigm shift. This book, um, it starts with paradigm shift. In fact, in chapter one, it contrasts church starting with church planting. Church planting would be more of the missional, you know, the first century approach. It's disciple, get amongst the rhythms of people. You know, it's the slow burn, not the big splash. And church starting is, hey, craft a, a, a sexy logo, get a flashy website, get a catchy name, um, reach critical mass, rent a public space, invite crowds to come, hope it takes off. That's church starting. Yeah. And I'm not here for that. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? That's I have no time for that. I don't I don't want anything to do with that. But church planning, I think, is something that if if we could recapture and rediscover uh, church planning in the way of the apostles, I think, yes. you know, yeah, it would change it. 
Yeah, one of the beautiful things you put in there, and uh, you're talking about how rooting it in the, basically the history. Um, you know, there's there's always like when you when you come in and you want to be a reformer, you're always looking at something new. Uh, when you were talking, it reminded me of a quote by Nadia Boltz Weber. She says, "I I feel really strong that you have to be deeply rooted in tradition in order to innovate with integrity," and I thought that was great because what you do is you ground it. And like you said, the apostles, what are the apostles doing? How did Paul do something? And I think that's beautiful. What were some of the biggest things that you took away from rooting it in history and tradition and saying, hey, here are the things that we can look at moving forward? Yeah, I love that quote. And I love that question because it's really important. You know, C.S. Lewis, he said that the person who cares about origin, being original is usually not original. But the person who gives it up finds themselves ironically becoming original simply because they don't care about it. And I would say that the recapturing of, um, you know, first century Christianity or even Wesley, I mean, he called it primitive Christianity. When he started doing all of the radical stuff he was doing, um, he was trying to rediscover Christianity according to Acts. And of course, the gospel advanced. I think the work that Alan has done and others have done is the exact same approach of, hey, let's rediscover. And, and church plantology is a, is a tongue in cheek. Uh, I was allowed to name the book and I was actually allowed to design the front cover. Um, I, ga I gave him kind of the outline. I want it to look like a science textbook of like a chemistry textbook mm -hmm. because inventors, they make stuff up. They invent. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be an inventor. I want to be a scientist. I want to rediscover like Newton. I want to think God's thoughts after him. I want to rediscover what's already there, what God put in the universe and I want to operate by those principles. And so church plantology, if you think of it, it's kind of like a Venn diagram, the uh, overlapping circles where in the middle, you know, is the sweet spot where those three circles overlap. Well, the three circles, uh, the definition of church plantology is the overlapping of those three circles. And those circles are scripture. What are the things that I can discern that I see the apostles doing in scripture? Uh, number two, what are the best global missional practices today? Things that global missionaries tell us, these things, we see them in scripture, they still over, and I don't mean this in a prag, pragmatist uh, or pragmatic um, way at all, but they're things that, that give life in, in global missions. These are things that we've, we've learned the hard way or we found are, are things that are essential um, this is how God advances the kingdom globally. And then the third circle is church history, because if those two first circles are true, if it's in scripture and it's how God advances the kingdom globally, then surely I can go back in church history and find that when there's periods of kingdom advancement, times where the old wineskin is bursting and there's new wine of the spirit that's just causing these discipleship movements and these movements of the spirit, the recapturing of something from Acts, Surely I can trace those same principles at work in church history, like with the Moravians, like with the Wesleyans, like with, you know, you name it, the Salvation Army. Um, you, you'll go back and you'll find these things busting out. And of course, that's in a Western context, but you can find these things also uh, historically in other contexts and today. Um, so th that's what plantology means. But yeah, his history plays a big part in that because... Somebody asked me the other day, it was actually um, Steve Addison, who I'm sure you guys know his work, like extremely grateful to him to study movements. Um, but he asked me, what do you want 
to come out of this book. And it, it was my own answer shocked me because I had never thought he said, what do, you, what do you hope people get overall in a quick summary? And and I said, you know, I I think the vindication of God on mission, you know, the vindication that Jesus was strategic. He understood mission better than any of us. And if we would understand what he was doing, and I, I really do that, like I unpack his strategy. And then that Paul was super strategic. But there's nothing new under the sun. You know, all of the things that we think, you know, oh, we're doing this. I have literally not found one innovation on mission that I can't trace back to somewhere in the scripture. They yeah. tried everything. They did everything. And I, my respect for them has grown so much that I look to them as the masters, you know? I'm, I, I don't think someone walking around today named Bob or Joe or, you know, uh, Bob, Dick or Harry or whatever is gonna, gonna be um, the, the, the one, I, I think they're gonna be the modern day iteration of those church plantology principles that came before them. There's nothing new under the sun. That's in mission and in everything. I know in the, you, you start the book, you, you put a big emphasis on first century you know, practice and some of the things that um, the early church, it, it really the early church planting movement that kind of happened. I'm curious, what, what are the, what are the, 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 you know, you've got someone who's listening, church planter, they're, you know, uh, we won't name any networks, but they, they've, they've Googled all the networks and they're like, man, it's just not quite a fit, you know, and, and they haven't checked out new breed yet, but before they get to new breed or when they come to new breed, like how does a church planter get started when they know they don't want to go the typical Western church planting way that they, they realize that that old attractional extractional model, that methodology, uh, it, it, it doesn't resonate that first century way. And so how do you get them started? Where, what would be some advice that you would say, Hey, here's where you need, here's step one, maybe step two. It's so, it's so funny because one of the, one of the key things that, you know, we're almost exclusively uh, Bible, which of course we know that 90% of, of planners out there are Kobo or bivocational. And uh, you know, I always tell them like, like for example, in, in new breed, I've got a guy who, um, he's a barber and, you know, he's like a gentleman barber, you know, like one of those, like you'd, you'd expect next 29 guy, they all look like him um, and it, big beard and, you know, cool hair. And uh, he, he would tell me, he'd say, you know, he, he came into new breed and I, I'll hear this a lot with the network where people will be like, Hey, Peyton, I'm not actually planting. And I'm like, that's cool. I don't care if you play, like, we're not here to get you to plant a church so we can like plant a flag, a new breed flag in it and go, look what we did, you know, because uh, that's a whole nother story. But I'm like, dude, so this guy, check this out. He's a barber. Um, he says they get in my barber chair and they just start confessing their sins. He goes, I don't know if it's like leaning back in that thing, like, like a Freudian couch, you know, where yeah. we're going to psychoanalyze them. He says, they just start telling me all their sins, confessing. He's like, weird. It's it's like I'm a Catholic priest. And he goes, so what I do is, he goes, they're not done confessing. We're not done talking by the time I've finished your haircut and shave. But he said, I, I, I tell him, hey, meet me across the street Friday night in the whiskey bar and uh, cigar lounge. And we'll, we'll, we'll have a chat. And he goes, I just keep, you know, leading people to Jesus there. And he's like... 
I don't know, Peyton, I, I don't think I'm going to be planting a church. Uh, I, I just, he goes, should I, or should I, I said, no, man, just keep doing what you're doing. You're right where God has you. He goes, yeah. Cause I just keep, I'm like an elder at the church I'm at. And, uh, I just keep feeding them in. So in a weird way, we're kind of like, we're kind of like the, the counterproductive network, I think in some ways, like we don't, we just want to help mobilize every believer in their gifting. I don't care about church plants. I really don't. And and I actually say in the book, I don't give a rip about church plants. I don't think Paul did either. Um, I think Paul had the gospel work that he did and the other stuff kind of took off as he did that. So um, so one of, one of the things is like uh, being um, bivocational, co-vocational, like business's mission to, to piggyback on my earlier thought, um, where we think that's innovative. Like we think, oh, you know, we're coming up with this new thing, this business's mission. But the reality is, picture this now. Paul, on his second missionary journey, gets stoned, gets beaten. He's, you know, he goes to, for, to Lister and Derby, picks up Timothy. They're just trying to, to get back to the Galatian churches and get them back on track. But the second he sets foot in one town, the circumcision group meets him there and persecutes him to the next, beats him, stones him. He finally ends up in Corinth and he is busted up. He is broken. I actually go into this. I actually teared up because I can't read my own book because I'm in edit mode. I'm too close up to it still. I'm not, I actually, uh, you can't see it in this book, but um, it, Peyton's copy for editing. I've, I've had to, I've had, so I don't give it away because I write all my notes. I can't read it. I get all in a funk and all upset. Oh, I would have written this differently. But um, so I've been listening to the Audible, which is straight fire. And because a guy who does it just does such a good job. And I'm listening to that and I can actually hear my book. While well, I was listening to the, the one about Paul's mistakes, that's chapter two, a sanctified uh, uh, theology of failure, failure and mission that that is, we talked about that. I know we share that. But I actually, I wept twice during that because I felt like I'm face to face with Paul, like the human aspects of Paul, the the discouragement of Paul, the humanity, the I can't take any more of this, you know, this, I, I, I've despaired of life. When we hear that when he's writing about that to the Corinthians, like we don't realize that when he got there, he was not okay. Yeah. And he meets Aquila and Priscilla. And I, I demonstrate in the scripture that when Paul's there, he's not ministering. He's working as a tent maker. He's recuperating. He's resting. He's trying to get his bearings again. He's trying to heal up his physical wounds and his mental exhaustion. And then it says, once uh, Timothy, and I can't remember who the second one at that point was with him. This is terrible because I write a lot about this. But when they get there, um, to Corinth, it says that they free him up to start preaching the gospel. So he's resting and recuperating. And, um, but here he meets Priscilla and Aquila. Now, when, when Timothy, and I, I can't remember if it's Silas or who it is, but when, when they actually, I think it was Silas, when, when they get there, they start doing tent making. Now, here's the crazy thing. They weren't tent makers. Priscilla and Aquila built a business empire in the first century. They have a house in Corinth when we encounter them there. They eventually have a house in Ephesus and then eventually a house in Rome, right? Now you had to be really wealthy 
to have homes back then. These guys made bank. And I, I'll ask planners that I train, hey, how did these guys support themselves? Well, they were tent makers. And so Paul didn't just train. This is my next project is a bivocational training center because I think, you know, to quote Marvel, his end game was bivocational or co-vocational, <laughs> as Brad would put it, co-vocational church planning missional empire. It was business as mission. Like we have no clue. We haven't seen anything quite like that. Unless you want to, any of you, I want to give a shout out to another book uh, by a guy named Guy Fance, P-F-A-N-Z, called Stacking the Deck. And he was a guy in the 90s who roasted coffee. One of the guys in New Breed, he was like, oh yeah, Bob, I, I threw it out there one day. He goes, oh, Bob Fance trained me. Yeah, I, 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 that's why I roast coffee. And I'm like, no kidding. But he would train church planners by day. And he would have them roast coffee by night and he would send them out with coffee roasting franchise. That is on the level of what Paul was doing. So these guys could roll up anytime, anywhere amongst anyone and, and basically do their thing and plant churches. Yeah, that's beautiful. One of the conversations I've been having with a lot of people, I think it's Bob Lupton who talks about how the church has inadvertently kicked out a lot of the business people, you know, especially if you're making money. If you're making money, it's like, oh, well, give, make sure you're giving and you could be on the church finance team. But what I'm seeing more and more now are business people, good Christian business people who are like have a mind for the kingdom. They're making money. And they're like, they can't find themselves in the church really well. They're trying to figure out where they fit in, what's going on. But they're wanting to come alongside new expressions of church and somehow marrying those, bringing those two together, I think is, is along with what you're saying too, is giving the church planners the experience and the opportunity to be able to do this, but then also reclaiming this huge swath of the, of the kingdom of people who want to come alongside um, entrepreneurial things, um, entre you know, especially when it comes to the church and, and the kingdom and the faith and all things like that. So this, this is, this is one of those things that I've been trying to figure out is how to crack that nut. <laughs> so yeah, when you write that book, I'm going to be really interested in that one. Well, you know, it's funny. I've got a quote in there that touches on this. It says D.L. Moody was passed over by multiple church leaders who thought him useless as a Christian and lazy because he fell asleep during the church service. John Farwell wrote, the recollection that I thought him lazy as a Christian haunts me still, for I ascertain afterwards he came in after spending all morning and getting poor children into a mission Sunday school. Moody later spoke of the years he sat in a pew being overlooked. For years, I really believed I could not work for God. No one had ever asked me to do anything. He would go on to lead hundreds and thousands to Christ, hundreds of thousands to Christ and inspire Billy Graham as an evangelist. But how many Moody's still sit in the pews for years being untapped and inactive? And I, the reason I've got that quote to hand is a buddy of mine. His wife is really brilliant. And um, she said, you know, every, every time when we go to church, they go to a really well-known church. He's like, they just ask her to do like church chores. And she has these amazing gifts and abilities and skills that if if a church was like, hey, you know, we're going to go on mission, you could harness that, you know. And and Paul was teaching his missionaries to think entre entrepreneurially, yeah. and uh, yeah. So I I agree, man. I think I think that is something that Paul had mastered, and and so for me, looking at at the first century up close under a under a microscope. They really did learn things that we're just tapping back into now. Yeah, Peyton, you you 
yeah, I don't even know how to respond after that. It just, it was, that was gold brother. That was so good. I mean, one, you just, you just stepped on my, on my soapbox. I mean, hmm. it's nice when someone else steps on your own soapbox and preaches for me. <laughs> uh, the whole church starting versus church planting. Oh my gosh, brother, you got to bring that over and over again. That, I mean, that is a message that I think people just do not understand. They cannot discern the difference between the two and that it, it is all in your motivation. It's all in, in kind of your own, uh, your own ability to, to, make an impact. You know, I, I, I've been in church 20 for 20 plus years and, you know, there, there are a lot of people that just want to start something that uh, they, they just want to start something that they've already been a part of, right. They want to start a, a Sunday morning gathering, but to truly plant, to, uh, to, to look at the soil, to look at all the circumstances, the seasons, you know, no one's going to plant a tree in the dead of winter, you know, but you can start it. You can start something anytime. And so planting is a beautiful thing. I love it that, uh, that you're looking at this, especially this book from a scientific standpoint. Um, but equally, I would say, as I look through the book, there's a lot of art to this as well, that there's, there is science, there is a science to this, but there's, there's definitely an art piece to this that, um, that, and I think that's the beautiful balance and church planting that yeah. church starting just does not encapsulate or have yeah and let me let me throw a caveat out there i i, I really appreciate what you just said because it is science and art um the church growth movement you know which uh one of the things i postulate in the book is that even though we crap all over that right it was um that's what happens when evangelists are running the show right sure. the evangelist ends up if you leave them alone they end up doing a mega church if you leave the prophetic leader alone he ends up you know uh, plant a charismatic Pentecostal church, you know, if you leave the teacher alone, he uh, ends up, you know, uh, creating a campus, he calls it a campus, it becomes like a classroom, you know, and you, 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 you whenever you leave any function of the apex alone, they, they make a mess of it, right? It, it starts to look like one limb of Jesus rather than you know, hey, this is the body of this is what the body's meant. These are the five functions of Christ. But um, one of the things that, uh, and by the way, I, I love all of these things. I just think they were meant to be in a blend. So one of the things about the church growth movement was they said that it was a scientific approach to looking at the church. They looked at results. And so what they came up with methods. Well, this book will not go back to methodology. In fact, I make the point that I'm not interested in methodology at all. What I'm interested in is principles, New Testament principles, the methods. So that, that's the science of it. It's the internal operating system of your iPhone, right? Uh, whatever you decide, whatever apps you put on it, that's the art of it, right? Whatever, whatever design you put. The principles are things like, um, you know, an emphasis on discipleship, you know, which is what the, the, the apostles had. What that looks like to you, I mean, the Bible doesn't really tell you what discipleship looks like how you want to do it. I mean, I disciple people the way I was discipled 30 years ago, you know, and it's worked for me for 30 years. Is it the right way to do it? There's no such thing as the right way to disciple. There's a lot of wrong ways to disciple, but there's not one right way. It, you're allowed a lot of art in this. It's the same with the service. Like God never told us what a church service actually looks like. There's some elements, there's some principles like we used to have a, a, a mantra that we would throw around. We'd say, hey, three things need to happen today. 
we need to hear from God. God needs to hear from us, and we need to hear from each other. Our church was highly interactive. We sat in half circles rather than rows. Those things were valued to us because that's where the gifts would flow, or that's where we would disciple one another in real time. You know, that's how we would share the gospel with one another. Those things were important, but those were principles. How that looked, we didn't care. We just had that mantra like three things need to happen. And what we were really saying is it doesn't matter how those happen. Doesn't matter what that looks like on the ground. We just know those three. That's the principle, our methodologies, the art. And I love that God gives us freedom in the scripture. I think the scripture is very carefully crafted to not tell you how you had it. It tells you, hey, you should do these things. Doesn't tell you how. You're allowed that freedom to be an artist. In fact, I've I've got a section in there as well on missional liturgy. Um, like like I love the fact that um, we're allowed to craft a liturgy. Like I, I, I make fun of the, the evangelical bow tie, which is like 30 minutes of singing, the little knot in the middle of announcements, and then 30 minutes of preaching, a little bow tie, you know? That's what our service looks like. But is that the most helpful thing for people? You know, is that is that the best way to do spiritual formation within an hour or two hours of time? We've got to rethink these things. And God gives us freedom. And I get really excited about... If I could just burn this whole thing down, and here we are at the at the tapering off of COVID, right? It seems like it's tapering a bit, at least for the near future. We we might be right back where we began, but you know, here here's the thing: anyone who's reopening and trying to go back to business as usual is missing the divine opportunity that the Holy Spirit's given us where COVID really exposed the weakness of the church, which I know the Forge tribe has been banging on about forever. But, you know, for, for the for the wider church, I think God has really given us an opportunity. It's almost like the prophets, you know, like they kept giving this message, you know, Alan was writing, Hugh was writing, I was writing, Sanders was writing, and finally the church was forced, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. all right, we're shutting it all down. But I think it's so foolish to just rush back in. There are principles here and you've been given a divine opportunity to hit a reset button yeah. and you have an excuse that your, your people would understand if you came back and said, we're going to do everything different from now on. Yeah. Peyton, one of the questions we've been asking all season to different people is this question, um, especially as you said, we're coming out of COVID. We're having the opportunity to kind of evaluate ourselves as the church, as church leaders, as where this, you know, what, what are we doing? And so we're saying, we're saying, what are the questions the church needs to be asking right now? I don't know if you had an answer to that. Just some of the things that you're thinking, hey, these are the questions I would want the church to be asking as we're coming out of COVID, entering into this next season. Yeah, one of the questions that I always ask my planners, um, and it comes up in chapter one of Church Plantology, is... I always ask planners about a month into training, describe to me what your church looks like, but the only rule is you can't start a Sunday service. Once you've cracked that nut, you've cracked what church planning actually is. Not church starting. Church starting is just starting a Sunday service, but you've cracked that. One of the other things is, how do you discover the spiritual gifts of your people? I believe that the gifts are connected to people's passions, which are connected to their burdens. So what I do is I start with the burden. So how are you listening to the burdens of your people to find their passion, which will lead you to their gifts? How are you mobilizing every believer into mission? I think that's, again, that's where it comes to. Um, that is the key. The other question is, are you limiting 
uh, the big picture by just thinking of planning a church or are you looking at what Paul did? He planted networks. I point out that there are seven networks that Paul planted in the New Testament that he saw himself as a network starter, a network planner. He started seven localized networks. Um, so are you going to plan a church or are you going to plan a network? If you're going to plan a network, uh, what are you doing to reproduce yourself now? What does it look like to constantly be reproducing yourself? Another question I might ask is if a revival hit tomorrow, you would quickly find yourself um, that you would be out of capacity with people that are, are leading others. That was a problem the early church had. They could not train people fast enough to keep, keep up with the growth of the church. That was the first problem they had in the book of Acts. So would you start doing that now? I mean, it came to the point where everyone I would see come to faith, I'd be like, that's my next church planner. And I would pour into every single person that started following Jesus as if they were going to be a church planner. And guess what happened? <laughs> they all end up in leadership. My, my philosophy of leadership is a leader is just somebody who is discipled really well. I don't think you need a special call to leadership. I just think you need really good discipleship. I would look at everyone in your church and I would ask that question. Are you looking at everybody in your church as a future leader? If not, why not? Right? Disciple them into it. That, that's, how, that's how leaders are made. Anyways, those are some of the questions that I would have. I got more, but yeah. I'll save it. Yeah, that's great. Those are great. Peyton, thanks again for, for being on the podcast, man. Today has been just absolute gold. It's been so good, man. Uh, it's been life-giving and uh, I've, I've planted a church and I've, I've had that I've had that comment where it's like, like uh, I'm not dumb enough to do that a second time but just sitting here with you man you've you got me you got me energized and if, if someone told me hey do you want to plant right now I, I might actually get talked into it and so uh thank you for your heart and, and everything you do for the kingdom brother well thank you man hopefully you read this book and it'll make you feel like rocky remember back in the 70s everybody went to rocky and they came out punching each other in the head as they're leaving the theater so hopefully on a missional level it'll make you want to want to go do that for the kingdom there you go. Maybe charge some stairs and do some That's right up at the top. Um, well, Peyton, how can if, if if someone wanted to get a get a hold of you or get connected to you? I mean, what do you got coming up that people can jump in and and kind of uh, get some time with you? Yeah, if uh, people, I mean, I do all kinds of different things. I've got trainings that they can sign up for at uh, ministryninja.com. One of the things we have is something called Jump School, which is core team training. It's plug and play. It's a six month. It's how I train my teams. And it's it's not meant to, for me to be the guru. I mean, I it's plug and play. If you want to watch an ugly face here, uh, you can do that. But really, you know, it's, it's made so that you can actually train your own people. Take them out on mission. I think that's the key to training a team. That's what Jesus did with the 12 for for uh, three years. So uh, it's very hands-on, highly interactive, and that would be that kind of training. Uh, I also do coaching, and uh, of course I write books. So, you know, ministryninja.com is probably the, the the best place to connect with me. Very cool. And uh, they can get the book there as well as on Amazon. And so uh, if you're listening, and even if you're not contemplating planting a church or in the middle of planting a church, pick this book up. I mean, I think there, there's some gold in there. Uh, even if you're an existing pastor, one of the things I think that, that helps with innovation is experimentation and 
all church planting is, is a form of experimentation. So even though you may not be in a planting phase uh, or a place, but I think there's some gold in this book that can help you uh, in your existing churches uh, get to the whole point. And, and this is why I left Peyton. It's all about mobilization. It's, mm, it's getting it really mobilized is. onto the mission of God. Um, and so uh, this book helps with that. So pick it up. Uh, and Peyton, thank you again. Um, love you, man. Oh, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. It's been fun. Thanks, man. Uh, thank you for listening. And uh, you can get a hold of us at ForgeAmerica.com uh, or email Alan and I at Terry at ForgeAmerica.com or Alan at ForgeAmerica.com. Thank you, guys.